0: And welcome to Diversity Ever After, a Baker Donaldson DI podcast. We are professionals focused on creating an honest and accepting space for ourselves, our community, and our listeners. Here at Diversity Ever After, we raise awareness of DNI workplace and social issues, we advocate for increased representation and inclusion, and we navigate uncomfortable but necessary conversations. Inclusion starts with I, so we invite you to listen and become in touch, in tune, and inclusive. Hi, everyone.
1: Welcome to another episode of Diversity Ever After. I am Nick Davis Primer, and I will be your host for this episode. I am a shareholder in Baker Donaldson's Jackson, Mississippi office, who focuses on partnering with clients to create respectful, diverse, and inclusive workplaces that comply with federal, state, and local laws. I'm so excited about our guest host today, Paula Edgar. Paula is CEO of PGE Consulting Group, LLC, an organizational strategy firm that provides training and education solutions at the intersection of professional development and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Among many roles, she is a keynote speaker and facilitator who assists companies with customized programming on DEI-related matters. Paula, what else would you like our listeners to know about you today? Uh, Just that I
2: help to facilitate dialogues that are uh, sometimes challenging. I try to make sure that I create and engage with content that is difficult in a way that is digestible, but also uncomfortable enough and comfortable enough at the same time to continue to push forward and um, and have progress. The work that I do is not easy. The conversations and dialogues that I drive um, are often um, challenging, but in partnership with my clients, uh, we get to a place of impact um, after we have navigated together. And that's what uh, I try to drive in all the spaces that I have the opportunity to work in.
1: Yeah. One thing you said that I think is so awesome and it's something I've had to learn is getting comfortable in the uncomfortable. (laughs) You know, we grow in the discomfort. So it's really a skill to be able to create an environment where people feel comfortable being uncomfortable. What do you think has been Something that's really helped you hone in on those skills or be able to connect with people in a way that should create those comfortable yet uncomfortable environments? It's a good
2: question. I um, studied anthropology in undergrad, and I, I always say that beyond uh, studying law, study, studying anthropology has helped me to understand um, people and culture and that connection between people and culture and trying to move the needle within the legal profession um, has been um pivotal for my career because essentially all, all we are, right, navigating all of this is people doing the work that we do. And at our core, we don't like change. We need it, but we don't like it. And mm-hmm. so, And so understanding that uh, that I should expect resistance in some of the work that I do, understanding that it takes a bit of a charm offensive to help people to navigate going to next steps and moving to to new and different places just means that I I have to be strategic about all of the work that I do and have people understand not just the heart of the why, but but all of the different facets of why they should be pushing forward with me to get uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love the change piece Mm -hmm. because I was just having a conversation with a friend the other day. Like, you know, I'm getting more comfortable with change. It's not my natural um, Mm -hmm. willingness to just change. But like you said, Naturally, we are a little averse to change, but it's so good for us. It allows us to get to that next level and understanding the why I have found is so critically important, like why this change, why now, and having those conversations to make people more enlightened helps so much when you're talking about DEI topics. And so I'm so glad to hear you say that because I do think it's important and we could have a whole conversation just about that, but let me (laughs) turn us around. You recently did a presentation for our firm on sponsorships. I wanted to have this conversation with you today about this topic to help our listeners see why it's so important, understand what are some things they can do if they are a sponsor or if they are being sponsored, because it's truly a game changer in a professional career for anyone. So let's start with the basics. What is a sponsor?
2: I think that in order to um, to level set I want to talk about what a mentor is first. Uh, because yeah, people are much more familiar with the term mentoring um, than sponsorship, because I think it's come into the the sort of landscape a lot more in the maybe the last ten years. But it really wasn't in nomenclature prior to that. So to, to level set, a mentor is somebody who is experienced, a trusted advisor who is really helping. Um, somebody who is less experienced uh, with guidance and support and, and encouragement. They are helping to develop skills. They're they're helping. I always say that mentors help you to avoid landmines, usually because they have hit them before, right? So they know they're ahead of the path that you are currently on, and they're helping you to not make some of the same mistakes and to really think through some of the path that you want to be on and the goals that you have. Mentors have more insight into the nitty-gritty um not just the sort of shiny part of of your career, and um, and you use them to kind of reflect and to pivot when need be. And so they're much more of an intimate um, relationship when done properly. Conversely, a sponsor is somebody who is an influential, usually more experienced person who is using their influence, their sphere of influence, their network, their connections, their resources to um provide you with a benefit, to advocate for you and to support your career. You can be sponsored without knowing it, although I do think it's better when you're sponsored and you know it, because ideally a sponsorship relationship um, with the protege or or a sponsee is mutually beneficial in that a protege has to understand that because a sponsor is putting their sphere of influence out, you know, in line with their career trajectory. That means that both of them are in it together, right? So that if a sponsee messes up, it impacts the sponsor. Um, Whereas a mentee can mess up. And yes, a sponsor might, I mean, a mentor might be upset about it or challenged. It doesn't directly impact them unless that's what they choose to happen. But a sponsor and a sponsee are so intertwined that their forward trajectory is are connected because of the fact that there's an investment in the Sponsee and the performance of the Sponsee is directly connected to the sponsors trajectory as well.
1: Yeah, that's so awesome. And I'm glad you went ahead and and made that distinction. That was one of the questions I wanted us to dive into, because I know when I started out in my professional career, it was all about mentors. That's what you heard most often. And then somewhere along the line, we started talking more about a sponsor. And you made a point about you can be sponsored without knowing it. And at that point, I recognized that I had actually had some sponsors, well, one in particular, who was a sponsor to me without really knowing it or not really knowing what she was doing behind the scenes, what conversation she was having about me to put her name on the line for me and my career development. And then once I knew sponsor the terminology, I said, oh, that's what she's doing. And then we kind of had more conversations about it. And now, as you said, it's something that's talked about a lot more But to your point, she would put her name out there behind mine, right? Mm -hmm. She was like, you should call on the Kimley. She's amazing. She's great. She's done this, that, or the other for me. I have experience with her. I think you'll enjoy working with her. All those things but she's putting her reputation out there by advocating for me so heavily to get me these opportunities. Or others who have said, hey, let's tap Emily for this potential leadership opportunity or this role to do this thing or that thing. They're putting their name on the line because if you get there and they've used their reputation to help you get that position and you're not doing your part, then as you said, it can certainly have an adverse impact on the sponsor and have an influence on that relationship long-term. So I do think that is a big differentiator between the mentor and the sponsor. But they're both equally important, I also think. Would you agree with that? They both have valuable roles that they can add to a person within an organization.
2: Certainly valuable roles. I don't know that I would call them equally important because I do think that um, that underrepresented groups and particularly Black women at the intersection of you know gender and race are over mentored and under sponsored, right? And so if one person is telling me how to avoid a landmine, another person is telling me how to avoid a landmine, I'm good. I know how to avoid the landmine. What I need them to say is, let me take you to this other street that's gonna get you access to this, you know, palace, right? Like that's where the sponsorship is. But in so many organizations, it's either programming or people who are willing to be like, oh hey, make sure you don't do this or you know, let me look at this, but they're not willing to say, You are the person for this. And I'm going to make sure that when you're not in the room, I'm speaking your name to your point. And that's really where the game changing is, is in that deliberate and strategic sponsorship.
1: Do you think that they're important at different times? Like when you're a first year coming out, is having a sponsor as important being a new person? I think it depends. Right. So it depends on who we're talking about being sponsored. So I'll keep the
2: same example of black woman. Law firms in particular have had a lot of attrition of Black associates in the one to three year time frame. So in general, I would recommend as a consultant that you start sponsorship post the third year, but also as a consultant, seeing where the sort of the um, leak is in the pipeline, I would maybe then say, actually, perhaps we want to incorporate that sponsorship in tandem with mentorship earlier in order to help with the bleeding of, of the, the pipeline, because what you're seeing is for whatever reasons, and there are multiple reasons, if people are leaving earlier, you have to invest sooner, more, deeper, earlier. And so in general, if you were just talking, you know, without specifics, without, you know, t- you know thinking about underrepresented groups generally, I would say that, yes, you want to have more mentorship at the beginning of your career than you want sponsorship. But if you're seeing an issue and you're seeing increased attrition, then either a tandem approach or something where you are definitely delving in deeper and having more opportunities for sponsorship earlier is probably the right move.
1: Yeah. The thing I like most about what you just said is the tailoring aspect of it. Like, you know, I always like to say that one size doesn't fit all, you know, one size fits one. So you have to get to know your organization, get to know your needs, get get to know your pain points, get to know your people. Like what will help this person the most? What is most beneficial to them? And let us adjust to ensure that they have a pathway to success here. And whether that's give them a mentor, then a sponsor, whether that's give them both at the same time, whether that's do one and not the other, whatever that is, just ensure we're being intentional about those steps so that we get the results we're looking for on the other side. And that may be something we're missing often. Like it's great to have these programs because it provides the framework, it allows us to have some sort of process, but at its core, you, you really want to get to know that person and then figure out what's the best for them. And that's where you have those personal relationships that can help you identify what might be better for that black female associate or new person versus, you know, a, a black male or versus um, Hispanic male or female. Whoever the person is, just kind of get to know them a little bit more so that you can give them the tools they need to succeed.
2: Yes. Get to know individuals, but also think about the firm goals. And think about industry trends all at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Those are all things that should be um, helping to create your strategy.
1: Sometimes people may think of it as we're doing this and it only helps that person being sponsored. What can you tell people about how having sponsorship relationships and these strong relationships with your people can help the organization?
2: So to my point earlier about seeing attrition and wanting to be responsive to it, many organizations law firms and and other organizations included experience good benefit when it comes to recruiting for the most part but that they have an issue when it comes to retention development and elevation and when you have a sponsorship program that is well thought out strategic and with lots of check-ins it benefits retention right and so uh, much of what people complain about in terms of wanting to impact diversity initiatives is really addressed when sponsorship programs are done well with sort of right framework and and then the benefit is not just the you know retention but also you know the culture is shifted um, when you have more folks who stay, then you have increased recruiting. it It becomes like this sort of circle of life that the more you you invest into um, having programming and initiatives that increase retention and then hopefully you know lead to to elevation, then you have more representation at the leadership. then you change how things are done because of the fact that there's a diverse grouping. And the leadership right and then that then impacts recruiting because people see representation in, in leadership and that's what they mm-hmm. want to <laughs> say so but it is the sort of circle of life um and but for, you know I, I see too often um firms who i work with primarily only looking at one part one segment of the benefit and in, in truth, the benefit is that the more diverse population you have, the better work product you have. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's been proven over and over and over again by you know multiple you know studies, et cetera. But it's what I just said as well. If the complaint is that you can't recruit because you don't have representation at the top, you're putting in programs like sponsorship programs that are developed in order to increase the opportunity for development and then elevation, then it all helps each other.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I I do think people kind of miss that link sometimes. I love how you framed it as the circle of life because it it does. It's just one thing begets the next and then it allows you to reach goals and have positive results that some companies probably aren't even anticipating. Like, oh, that's a benefit of this. That's awesome to have all these other benefits that they probably weren't even thinking about. But do you think it matters in terms of the effectiveness of the sponsorship relationship whether it was part of an official organizational program or if it's just a naturally developed sponsorship relationship.
2: I have a two prong answer to that. Let me ask you a question. The person who was your sponsor, uh, I think you you said she when you Uh talked her. So you're already seeing that you were sponsored. And at least one of the areas of, of in terms of your connectivity was affinity based on gender.
1: And race, because it was a Black woman.
2: So. so I I
1: guess, but I wasn't sure.
2: I didn't want to say.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so what
2: happens is most sponsorship that happens organically happens along areas of affinity. And that would be OK, except for the fact that um, when you look at the framework of law firms and particularly that, that most of the people who are in power and in the partnership are white men, that means that we'll continue to beget additional white men being sponsored and then you don't shift a lot of the diversity and the sort of landscape of the firm representation and who elevates and is retained, unless you have a program or you have a, you know a, an initiative that shakes that up and, and shakes that up by saying, it's not just gonna be who you choose organically, but it's gonna be who we pair you with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to help and support you in how to do this because usually it is across culture across gender etc so that there needs to be additional support and that that's a big place where i see people make mistakes is that they're like okay great you're paired up good luck <laughs> and, <laughs> um, right and then that doesn't work because similar to other ways in which why people don't connect uh, organically without support w- without the sponsorship piece there, there needs to be sort of a, a help that happens there um so i do think that it is great when sponsorship happens um, organically. And there can be sponsorships that happen across you know, culture and um, uh, that are not aligned specifically with affinity organically, but that means that there is usually some other way that relationships are developing, right? And so firms and other organizations who are doing a really good job at making sure their cultures are inclusive and are providing opportunities for people to connect and not just on work, but also work um, and, and have the opportunity to meet and, and grow with each other those sponsorships then happen more organically, but mm-hmm. not enough at the rate to make the impactful change that we're looking for. So if you want to have really impactful and intentional change, then I do think that the incorporation of sponsorship programs that pair folks based on whatever it is that you decide, so whether that's race, gender, whether you de- determine high potential, whatever it is with the influencers and power brokers within the firm or organization that works better because it it shakes up some of the what happens organically in order to share some of the wealth of the power mm-hmm. and it's across different diversity de- demographics.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. I definitely agree with you on that. And I encourage the listeners out there who don't have programs to to look into whether that's something that you can implement within your organizations. Because to Paula's point those natural connections will happen, but also they're few and far between because they're not enough of us. So, you know, there they're not enough black women in some of these positions of power to be able to do all they can to help others, even if they want to do so just naturally. So I do think that the programming really helps make this whole process a game changer for a broader group of people. What do you say to those companies or organizations who are trying to get a sponsorship program off the ground? Like what are two or three high level points you would want them to consider when they're trying to get one of these initiatives started? So
2: a couple of things. Number one is you want to define what the objective and the scope is of the initiative program. Um, that means who the participants are going to be the time frame, the guideline, what the intended outcomes are, what success looks like. For example, you know, there are some folks who only determine success is if the participants become partners. And that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) 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 Because not everybody wants to be a partner. I mean, for multiple reasons. But the, the key is, is that when you provide, you know, that power and influence and you, you know, you share it and you sponsor you create these connections that create investment, so that whether somebody decides they want to stay at counsel, or um, someone decides they don't want to practice in the law firm anymore, but they're going to go in house, that the likelihood of them wanting to be to remain a client or stay connected is higher because of the investment. Um, so so success should have a, a lot of different ways to, to be um, determined, but it's important to define the, that scope and the objectives before you get started. Similarly, I use the word pilot probably every single time I help with a sponsorship program. When you're doing something new, using the term pilot is, is helpful because it allows you some grace. It allows you to make some mistakes. It allows you to come back and say, oh, we didn't do that well. We want to start this again. Um, it allows you to say, well, this is what we learned and this is what we're going to do as we launch the, the actual program. It's just a, a good way of helping folks to understand that it is something that's being tried out and mm-hmm. and that um, gives it space to grow and, and be defined differently when if necessary. And then the other piece is You have to, as I mentioned before, you have to provide training and ongoing support for both the sponsors as well as the sponsees. People just don't do this. If they do this organically, they don't think of it as sponsorship, right? They're just like, oh, this is just what I do. And so being able to define some of the the sponsorship actions, being able to talk about what is requested and required of a sponsee in terms of their accountability as well. Are important conversations to have and to remind people of, and then also to check in because not you know life happens and we know this because of we've been through a global pandemic. We know this because we are you know human beings. Things happen and sometimes disconnects occur because of that. And so having support to allow for people to connect and reconnect if need be, and to to recommit is an important part of the process too. And you know having ongoing support and training is just a, a key thing. I, I can't say it enough. Uh, and then I guess finally it's it's making sure you're tracking outcomes, right? What you know, whether that's how many times folks are meeting or, you know, different developmental benchmarks that the sponsee might be meeting or opportunities that they have. Uh, you know, there's multiple ways that you can track the progress. But any stakeholders, whether a firm or not, They're going to want to know how do we know this is successful and you want to think in advance as to how do we know this is successful and then actually report out on those things to to be able to determine those. But deciding all of that in advance is important, not iterating and figuring it out as you're going. That's not people often leave the gate before they think about what race they're going to run.
1: That is a great list, I believe, for anyone getting started to think of those things. One of the things you mentioned that really resonates with me just because of the work I do is the training piece. I think it's so important to give people the tools they need to succeed in these roles because, as you stated, some people are doing these things and they don't consider it sponsorship, so they don't really see how it's easily transferable and it's not really asking them to do much more than they're already probably doing for some people because, Mm -hmm sometimes when people think, oh, this is just an extra thing, you know, an extra administrative duty that they're putting on my plate, that can be disheartening to some. But once you make it plain, like, hey, this is really what we're asking for. And I'm sure you're doing some of these things already. We want to give you opportunities to connect so you feel like you know each other and it feels more organic, even though it is part of a formal program. And we're just going to, you know, if you have questions, we're going to be here as a resource for you. I think that's so important. And I don't know if you have any tips you can give to a sponsor who's interested in sponsoring someone and doesn't know where to start or a sponsee who wants to be sponsored and doesn't know who to ask or what to do if their company doesn't have a program. But if you have any uh, final thoughts on that, I think that would be a great way for us to kind of end our conversation today. Sure.
2: For sponsors who are interested in sponsoring um, and there's no program, figure out who you want to sponsor and start to build a relationship with them. And then as you are thinking about, like, how can I be most impactful? Think, what would I do if this person was, you know, really important to me? What would I do if I love this person? And it sounds sort of like, oh, but it really is. You know, I, I always think to myself, I, when I'm sponsoring somebody, I, I'm doing for them what I would do for my child. I'm doing for them what I would do for somebody who is related to me who I liked. <laughs> right. And and that makes it an easy thing. What you know, gonna, yes, I want you to come to this event with me. Of course I'm gonna say your name. All of those things that to your point don't seem like you know, something that sponsorship when it happens organically, but it is. And then for people who are looking to be sponsored, you start with excellent work. You have to provide the baseline for someone to to even identify you as somebody to to be sponsored. And at a minimum, it is striving towards excellence, not perfection, but excellence, so that they don't feel challenged by aligning their own sphere of influence and their own trajectory with yours, because they know that you're at least committed to that excellence. And, you know, communicating and being clear about your goals. Like, once you've built relationships with folks, you know, I'm a big fan of identifying who the influencers are and making sure they know who you are. And then, once you build relationships, you know, share your goals. Because again, as I mentioned, sponsorship doesn't always happen by somebody saying, okay, now you are my sponsee, let us go off into (laughs) the sunset. Oftentimes, they're just like, oh, I remember that Paula said that she was interested in, you know, working on that client pitch. Let me just say Paula's name. And if Paula has said in, you know, a, a reception, hey, I'm interested in, you know, working on a client pitch, then I have put myself in a space where somebody can grab that as an assignment and then launch it without me even knowing or most you know even better if I did know. So understanding what your goals are, both as a sponsor and a sponsee and then executing on them and um, and continuing to connect and build relationships is what I would recommend across the board, continuing to check in. But but remember, particularly for the sponsors, unfortunately this is not happening enough in an organic way. And so you're if you're, you know, somebody is like, I got to, you know, I'm going to change and, and make sure this is different or I want to this to be a part of my allyship journey. Determine who and then do it and then keep on doing it. Um, you know, it doesn't there's not a, a max on how many people you can sponsor, because each time your sponsee goes to a different level, you have room for somebody else to come in and have opportunities at a different with, you know, at a different space. So take the assignment and do it well.
1: That is awesome. I think that is a great ending to this conversation. It gives people a lot of good information on what they can do on both sides, being the sponsor or the sponsee. And it lets our organizations know how they can get started on this journey. Paula, I want to thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time today with me. You are certainly a wealth of knowledge in this space, which I can tell just from how you talk about the subject. So we really appreciate it. And for those of you listening, we encourage you to get out there, to learn more about sponsorships, to reach out to Paula if you so desire, and to help others within your organization, particularly your minorities, your people who are underrepresented. Help them get to the next stage of their careers by thinking about programs like this and others that will give them the tools they need to reach the level of success they desire. Thanks so much, everyone. Until next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Diversity Ever After, a Baker Donaldson d podcast. We hope that this conversation has made you feel more seen, valued, and empowered to become in touch, in tune, and inclusive in your day-to-day interactions. Remember that inclusion starts with I. Until next time, please like, comment, and share this episode.